0: Hello and welcome to Guiding Assets, the flagship investment podcast for CFA Institute. I'm Mike Wahlberg, and we have another interview from CFA Institute's Risk and Asset Allocation Summit, where Paul Andrews interviewed Kai Wu, founder and chief investment officer of Sparkline Capital. Sparkline is an investment management firm that applies machine learning and computing to uncover alpha and large unstructured data sets. The two have a great conversation about building your own alternative data sets from unstructured data, applying natural language processing to your stock selection process, and the all-important question, is AI coming for your job? Paul oversees the strategic direction and leadership of the research, advocacy, and standards function at CFA Institute. Enjoy the chat.
1: Well, Kai, welcome, and thanks for joining us today with our uh, discussion around technology and how technology and data are influencing investment decisions and helping to make better better choices uh, in the marketplace. And, and let me start, if I could, by just um, asking you a little bit about your firm and, and uh, Sparkline Capital, and, and what it is, what it does, and, and, and just a little bit about how you use data and analytics and technology in and, and this great big world of finance.
2: <laughs> um, well, thank you. Um, yeah, so we are Sparkline Capital. We are a systematic value investment shop. Um, you know, our whole thing, our whole ethos is how do we take value investing, this kind of age-old uh, framework, into the modern era? Um, it, it's no secret that the performance of kind of traditional, say, price-to-book type value strategies has been you know, so-so the past decade or so. Um, and you know, for me, the big question has been, you know, commentators often ask, is value investing dead? Right? So what I say is, no, of course not. Like, these principles are, by definition, true. You want to buy cheap assets, of course. Mm-hmm. But the question is, you know, what is intrinsic value and how do you measure that? Right. Does this book value matter um, in the modern day? And you know, I think what's helpful is to kind of go back through time to the days of Ben Graham and security analysis, when he wrote the the Bible of value investing. Yeah. And you know, companies were industrial; they were railroads and steel mills. And you know, you take a look at the market today. The biggest stocks, you know, your Apple, your Google, and your Microsoft. They you know don't use tangible capital to create earnings. Instead, they use intangible assets. Um, you know, at Sparkline, we focus on four pillars of intangibles, um, brand equity, human capital, intellectual property, and network effects. And, you know, these, these um, intangible assets are, you know, really what drive earnings today and, you know, are kind of becoming more and more important as a part of the economy. When we've done research on this, we found that, you know, what used to be a rounding error is now 50%, the majority of assets today is now intangible. And by the way, in many of the most important sectors, it's 80 to 90%, right? So if you take the 11 sectors in the market and classify them as either intangible or tangible. So an example of a tangible industry would be banking or finance, An intangible might be IT or communications, media. It turns out that 80% of the market cap of S&P stocks is in the intangible category. Right so to you know so we we really are forced right as investors to acknowledge the change in the economy we've seen in the past century and attempt to quantify what is the value of companies with respect to their intangible assets now how do we use data right so this is you know a, a really important question you know one thing you could do is you could say let's look at the accounting statement let's look at the R&D expenditure let's look at the you know SGNA and those as okay proxies but you know it's still going to be quite limited. Right? You have to make a ton of assumptions regarding um, how to capitalize and depreciate these assets. You know, also, the relationship between um, input uh, and output is very non-linear for intangible assets. You know, a good example is, is marketing. Right? If I, you know, some kind of guerrilla marketer, I can like, put together like, a scrappy YouTube video and it could get like, a billion hits. Um, or I could you know, put together a really high production value ad by Super Bowl spot and it could put flop. Right thing with R and D. Right, my my next R and D project could be worth 10 billion dollars or nothing. So because of that kind of relationship, we're really forced to kind of put aside the kind of historic cost nature of accounting, and instead move to this kind of wild west um, world of what's called alternative data. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we tend to look at information um, such as in patents as a way of kind of gauging the quality of IP. We'll look at uh, LinkedIn job postings mm-hmm. um, for human capital. Um, We'll look at social media. We'll look at, um, you know, a glass door is a good example for kind of the culture, the strength of company cultures, which are all important intangible assets. So these are all highly relevant. You know, the challenge um, with these data sets is that they're unstructured. Um, and, And that just means that they tend to take the form of like audio or text or video and not so much be, you know, something you could kind of throw into an Excel spreadsheet or an SQL database. These are data that, you know, this traditional statistical toolkit, you know, linear regressions or um, econometrics just are not really able to deal with and therefore we're forced to, again, you know, be a bit more open minded with regards to the tools that we're using to kind of bring this data into the fold and these tools are, you know, we're very fortunate to live in a time when we've seen such rapid progress Mm -hmm. with regards to AI. Right, so ChatGPT, which everyone knows, is an example of a, of a large language model. These natural language processing models are specifically designed to take text, um, take a patent abstract, or a Glassdoor review, um, and, or an earnings call transcript, and bring it into a format such that it can become a structured input into a traditional quantitative process. Mm-hmm. So so what is Sparkling was your question. We're, you know, kind of old school value investors, but trying to apply it into a very new set of opportunities um, you know, technology companies, consumer brands, et cetera, trying to find intangible value where we can. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's very core for us because the only way we can really do what we're saying we're trying to accomplish is through the use of alternative data and also um, natural language processing AI.
1: Well, let, let's talk in a, in a second about natural language processing, but but let me ask you first about the vast quantities of data that you're talking about. I mean, the, let's call it the traditional data as you mentioned, and then there's all of this other data. Yeah particularly around some of the alternatives with Glassdoor and and, uh, different social media hits, uh, posts and things of that nature. How do you sift through all of that? I mean, because to me, the way I look at it is there's a lot of noise out there with this data. And how do you make sense of it so that you actually can incorporate it into the model going forward?
2: Yeah, so I think there's two big pitfalls with learning new data. So first of all, the pros. Um, you're kind of forced to do it. Like you, you kind of cannot afford to not use alternative data in the modern day, right? Do we really expect that if we continue to mine the same exact, say, CompuStat Crisp dataset over and over again, we're going to get a different result? Right? That's like your kind of Einstein definition of insanity. You know, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting yeah. so a different result. So we kind of have to, you know, take advantage of the new tools and information available. Now, what are the two, the two pitfalls? Okay, there's two pitfalls. So first is exactly what you said: signal to noise ratio is it's pretty low. I mean it's not that it's high to begin with in traditional data, but it's just low in general in financial markets. Prices tend to be extremely volatile relative to fundamentals. And there's a lot of information in these data sets that may be not even applicable to finance. Um, so our solution is to kind of use intuition to narrow down the search space. And what that means is we'll start off with a hypothesis um, intangible assets matter. Then go to the next layer. Um, Alright, well like you know, human capital is an important dimension of intangible assets. Okay. Um, LinkedIn profiles might be an interesting place to look to find the you know quality uh, of a company's personnel. Okay, so that seems all very logical, and and once we kind of narrowed down to that one data set, the chances of overfitting are much lower. Because we've already done a lot of the work using kind of our um, you know human you know insight with regards to financial markets. So the other pitfall in alternative data, which is kind of unique, is that um, Companies and CEOs are highly incentivized to manipulate the narrative in their favor. Um, so I wrote a paper on this on, about measuring culture. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of like started off by making fun of how like CEOs love talking about just how amazing their culture is. We're so innovative, we're so collegial, blah, blah, blah. You know, the Enron CEO said that, right? Um, and so, so what you need to do is instead kind of bypass communications directly from the mouthpiece of the company and instead kind of go to the, the ground truth. And in this case, we use Glassdoor Reviews. And we kind of scrape all this information, and you know, these are the text reviews of thousands of people who are either employed or formerly employed at these companies, yeah. and then use the natural language processing on this. And that gives us a kind of more unbiased signal with regards to um, you know, the, the culture of a company.
1: Yeah. So do, do you think that, I mean, we'll ever get away totally from the human element? I mean, you said you start with intuition, looking at the alternative data. I, alternative data, is it, is it that we'll always have that human, it's going to be AI plus HI, human mm-hmm. intelligence yeah. plus artificial intelligence, do you think?
2: I, I, it's hard to predict, you know, what the world's gonna be in 100 years. I can say during the course of my career, I do not expect to be the case that, you know, the human kind of portfolio manager role will be replaced by an AI. Mm-hmm. Well, AI today is, is really good at certain things. It's really good at, you know, helping you to code, at retrieving information, summarizing you know, transcripts and, and information. That's all kind of the lower level work that, you know, frankly, quite frankly, as an um, investor, I love the fact that they can do that. Right? I welcome that. I'm not worried for my job. This is great. I can now you know, uh, be twice as productive because a lot of the kind of menial things I spend a lot of time doing, like Googling stuff you know, is now um, taken care of by by this AI. Mm -hmm. So I think at least for the the near future, this is gonna be kind of highly augmenting and potentially a democratizing force when it comes to allowing individual researchers to accomplish a lot more with smaller teams.
1: And do you think that individual investors will be able to take advantage of this, let's call it the brave new world in in the coming days or even now?
2: Absolutely. I mean, there is a time like, you know, when as an individual investor, you had such limited access to data. Right, and you're just, the cards were stacked so far against you compared to say some hedge fund manager or a quant who was like hand entering information you know, mm-hmm. um, in, into a computer, which by the way at the time was so expensive. Nowadays, you go on Google, you can get you know, any kind of stock price, Yahoo Finance, and more and more frequently, information that used to be very difficult to parse, go back to the earnings call transcript information, can now be um, summarized you know, for very cheap by AIs and now can be you know, accessible to individual investors. So again, I do think of this as a kind of a leveling force um, not just across you know um, you know different large firms or small firms, but even you know down to the level of the individual investor mm, that's that's
1: very very interesting you know a minute ago you you mentioned na- natural language processing yeah and maybe could you elaborate a little bit more on that, particularly how sparkline is using this new technology um, right. well, it's not that new I shouldn't say that it's 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 evolving let's <laughs> put it that way
2: yeah so you know, look, so what is natural language processing? It, you know, I think everyone knows what ChatGPT is, so I think we can start with that as like a, you know analogy. So we start with ChatGPT. What is it doing? It's creating a conversational chatbot-like interface for uh, a human to kind of play with. But what is ChatGPT built on is this underlying foundational model, this large language model mm-hmm. called GPT-3 or GPT-4. Right. What is that trying to do? All it's trying to do is basically a completion model. Where like, you, know, you give it two words, it predicts the next word. Or you give it two words, it predicts the word in between. Right? That's how these things are trained. But they're just trained on so much data. Right? All the websites, all the books, all of the you know, Wikipedia articles in English that it develops a very, very uncanny right, um, intelligence when it comes to understanding human language, in this case, English. Um, and these models are kind of the base for everything you can do, right? My, my analogy, which we talked about, was the idea of like a, 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 a power tool with, various, with varying drill bits you could use, right? One drill, drill bit being ChatGPT, allowing it to interface with humans, but other ones being like using it to predict sentiment um, from like, you know, hey, this is a positive article, this is a negative article. Topic modeling, the idea of saying, hey, this article is about you know, earnings, this one's about like uh, fraud. Um, and so there's plenty of different things you can you can build on this edifice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how do we use it? Is you know we're a quant firm, so we're not you know trying to have the model like read something and then you know I talk to it for a while and you know buy a stock. You know we have it uh, kind of directly feed into the next layer of our of our process. So traditional value investment process. We want to buy cheap assets. We look at all the stocks and we say which things are cheap or expensive against some measure of intrinsic value. That intrinsic value measure includes book value alongside the four pillars, human capital, brand, intellectual property, network effects. Um, in order to kind of form these metrics though, we are kind of going to go into say all the patents and then run them through the NLP models to kind of spit out uh, you know different scores as to how cutting edge they are and then tally them up at the company level to kind of form a, a relative ranking with regards to IP strength. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we will train these models, right, all over the patents on, you know, certain like uh, understandings of like what is considered cutting edge versus not.
1: Is the work that you're doing at Sparkline also translatable to risk management practices, for example? And and, and where, where, where I'm going with this is, I mean, in the last few days, couple of months, few weeks, you know, we've seen these bank failures uh, happening in, the, in in the United States. And could artificial intelligence and machine learning have maybe predicted those, or at least given warning signals, perhaps, that these banks were in trouble? Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and are you doing any work on the risk management side?
2: So, t- it's funny. So one of my friends literally sent me a paper on this exact topic last week. Um, and what the paper did was it looked at tweets. And it found that companies, you could use the tweets about these companies to kind of create bank risk, bank run scores from like mm-hmm. top to bottom for all these companies. Mm-hmm. So again, it's not predicting whether or not the system will fail, but just saying to the extent that bank risk like uh, continues to uh, you know spiral, these are the companies that are at most uh, risk. Right. So this is kind of a, a bank risk factor. Um, you know, we talked about like, the Reddit Wall Street Bet factor, which is a similar concept where we use NLP to go through the Reddit posts of Wall Street bets, figure out you know GameStop, Bed Bath and Beyond, certain companies. Mm-hmm. Not saying that they're going to outperform or not. Just saying that in the event that you know that there's a higher risk that they end up kind of with these big price spikes because the Reddit army gets behind them. Um, and so again, this is you know less saying we can predict that the um, that this crisis will continue. Just saying that if it does continue, these are the names that are at most um, you know uh, risk of kind of a negative uh, adverse impact. Yeah.
1: So, so let me ask you. I mean, maybe just one final question, if if, if we can, which is around governance of all this data because you're using it like you just described how it can be used perhaps for risk management how it's helping you analyze existing data how do you sort of keep track govern uh, you know make sure that things don't go off the rails uh within sparkline and clearly within the investments that you're
2: making yeah so i think the first most important thing is that we're not just training black box models we're not doing the thing that you know people assume quants do, where they just take a bunch of data and feed it into a large model, and then say, "All right, now we're going to train this on future stock returns." Because right? in that state of the world, it would be very difficult to kind of audit. Oh, so you want to buy Apple, but why? Right? Is it because of X, Y, or Z? You have no idea. You never. You will never know. Um, so we don't do that. Um, instead, as I mentioned, we start with intuition. We say, we think intangible assets tend to be misvalued. We think that these are the four pillars that matter. We think that this data set may potentially contain insight, blah, blah, blah. And so like we can actually trace all the way back to the end signal, like which things um, are are causing us to, to make what decision? So in, in a sense, like the, the actual portfolio construction process is very standard, very simple. Like nothing, there's no secret sauce there. It's very basic and transparent. It's just that the inputs um, we're using kind of pretty cutting edge technologies to take this unstructured data, which you know most people you know aren't really able to kind of wrangle, and and, and create factors, um, you know, dozens of different factors to kind of be compo- to build up into these composites.
1: So it sounds just, uh, just maybe, final comment. You can tell me whether I'm right or wrong, but you know, going forward, it just sounds like the conglomeration of all this data for our profession is just going to be table stakes. This is this is the way it's just going to have to be.
2: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. You, you look at what the data vendors like Bloomberg is doing, like it's not just, the terminal is not just price volume. They have, you know, news, they have transcripts, and they're investing very heavily in bringing this alternative data into the terminal. And I think that's a great bellwether for where the industry is headed. Um, you know, so much of information is unstructured. I think 80% of information is unstructured. So for us to say, we're gonna ignore that and just focus on price volume, you know, and 10Ks, you know, is kind of missing, missing the, the, the boat here. So I think it's, it's you know, tremendously important um, for investors to pay attention to this information.
1: Well, Kai, thank you. You've been very generous with your time and uh, really uh, learned a lot just in our f- few minutes together and uh, appreciate it very much. Well, thanks thank so you.
2: much for having me. Very, very welcome.
0: You've been listening to Paul Andrews in conversation with Kai Wu, founder and chief investment officer of Sparkline Capital. I'm Mike Welberg and this has been Guiding Assets.